You know, I want to say that in preparing this message, I'm, I'm coming here today and I'm a little better prepared than you are because I've already worked through grief uh, this week in thinking about the times in my life when grief has been so poignant. And I think that this sermon will cause us all in just addressing the topic of grief to go there. To think of those times when we dealt with grief or maybe the grief we're dealing with right now. You know, I spoke to a, a father in an early service who said that his 29-year-old son died suddenly two years ago. I know that some of you are grieving today the loss of a very close uh, young friend um, who died just this past week. So we understand how grief can impact us. You know, the pain of grief can disrupt our physical health as well, can't it? It can make it difficult to sleep, to eat, to think straight. It can impact our spiritual lives. It can cause us to um, feel like our prayers are not getting past the ceiling. It can cause us to question our faith. To even wonder where God is in the midst of the pain. So today we're going to be looking at a text from Lamentation that we often don't go to. Because Lamentation is so heavy. But in Lamentation, particularly the, the chapter we're reading today, it's talking specifically about grief related to the exile in Judah. In Judah from Jerusalem. So it may be that Lamentations was written kind of in a communal way. It's a, it's a selection of prayer poetry that has to deal with the human emotion, a way to console the people in the midst of their anguish. The year was 586 BC. The siege is over and the enemy nation Babylon has conquered and destroyed Jerusalem. All of the brightest and the best of Judah's population has either been killed or marched off into exile in Babylon. And the city is a ghost town and the beloved temple lay in ruins. So lamentation is written in an ancient form uh, as a lament called a kina. And this kina in lamentation is distinctive because it is written in an acrostic form. It literally uses the letters of the Hebrew alphabet and each verse is a letter that goes right through the alphabet. Now uh, we don't speak Hebrew today so we don't have as much appreciation of this first chapter of lamentation as we would otherwise but I do want us to think in terms of the alphabet today as we deal with this message. So let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Lamentation. Lamentations, the first chapter, we're going to read the first six verses. I'd like to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. How lonely sits the city that once was full of people. How like a widow she has become. See, that was a great among the nations. She that was princess among the provinces has become a vassal or a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks among all her lovers. She has no one to comfort her. 
All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile with suffering and hard servitude. She lives now among the nations and finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads of Zion mourn for no one comes to the festivals. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan. Her young girls grieve. And her lot is bitter. Her foes have become the masters. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has made her suffer. See, even God's going to get blamed in the midst of this. For the multitude of her transgressions, her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From daughter Zion has departed all her majesty. Her princes have become like stags. They find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now most of you are saying that was the most depressing scripture passage I've ever heard. You said you come to church and you wanted to be uplifted and the preacher reads from lamentation and all of a sudden you're depressed and you don't think you're going to get out of it. It's a heavy scripture. It's a heavy book, Lamentation. And yet it is where we all are in our human condition at one time or another and probably several times throughout our lives, we deal with intense grief. And today, I hope in the midst of this message that we'll find ways that we can deal with our own grief or find ways that we can help another whom we love deal with their grief in a way that the Bible instructs. You know, in 1969, a psychiatrist named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote a a book that uplifted the five stages of grief, a very famous uh, work. Uh, All of us who've gone through seminary have had to do it, and all who are engaged in any kind of counseling um, or psychology have uh, read Kubler-Ross. And she gave us these stages of grief while working with a group of terminally, terminally ill patients cancer patients in this case and she talked about these stages that she observed in those who were going through grief related to their own finitude the five stages of grief according to Kubler-Ross are these denial this can't be happening to me I must be dreaming Or going through life as if, uh, you know, it's just another ordinary day when everybody around you is saying, my goodness, don't they realize what's just happened? Or anger, the second stage. Why is this happening to me? And then we get into kind of the blame game of of wanting to uh, express our anger and trying to give somebody credit, even if it's God. And bargaining. Make this not happen, and I will return to you, God. You you know, in reading through these again, it brought back my own dealing with with grief and going through these stages just like this. I've bargained with God, and I know better. Depression. 
I'm too sad to do anything. Just want to crawl in a hole and cover it up and acceptance. I'm at peace with whatever happens. Finally. You know, that's where we hope we all go when we're going through grief. We know that we'll go through grief. Now, Kubler-Ross said that we don't all go through these stages the same way. Some of us don't um, uh, go through these stages at all like that and can still experience a healing. But these are natural expressions of grief, and we need to recognize that these are emotions that are healthy emotions in dealing with grief. You know, you know, while I've been working on this sermon this week, I have been overwhelmed with the tragic accident that happened in Branson, Missouri with that duck boat and, and, and the loss of life. Incredible. You, you know, I, I was just the other day heard the heartbreaking account from a family member who lost her three children, her husband, in total, nine members of her family gone. How does someone deal with grief in the midst of that? I kept asking myself the question. And then I heard her interviewed, and she obviously is a person of strong faith, but she told about how in the midst of that drowning, how she was uh, calling out to God and, and, and said, Jesus, help me to get to my children, she said. And she said she thought she was going to die, and she just started swimming up, and, and everything was dark. She couldn't see. She didn't know anything that was going on around her, and all of a sudden the water got warm, and she popped up, and she, she was out of the water. And then she said that, that it was like there was a big boat there and they started jumping in the water rescuing us and throwing life preservers to us. And she said they were, they were like angels. I didn't know any of them and they didn't know me and they were coming to my rescue and I just prayed that, that, that my family would be okay. But when I got on the boat, no person in my family was there. I'm not sure anything can prepare us for that kind of grief. And how our hearts broke when she said, heard her say this morning, Miss Coleman, that around our house there were always the patter of little feet. And I don't know what it's going to be like when I go home this week. I don't know how I'm going to make it through. You know, today I want us to look at three of the ABCs related to this text and our dealing with grief. And the A is abandon. You know, it must, be, it must have been utterly strange for those who were experiencing what lamentation was all about to find Jerusalem, this place where there were lots of feet pattering around, that was so busy and, 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 and all of a sudden for it to be like a ghost town. And to see some of the people who were there who were left behind because they weren't important enough, how they were left to have to pick up the pieces. And to see that temple where you worshipped, and, and you maybe even worshipped the temple a little bit, it was so beautiful and you loved it so, and to find it just in ruins. 
And, and questioning all about that, that abandonment sets in. It's one of the keenest of pains in the midst of grief. A widow or a widower knows this experience. Sometimes you even get to the place that you think about the other, how it's like you've been abandoned. Even though the other may have had nothing to do with their death, couldn't control it at all, you find yourself questioning, even maybe getting a bit angry because you feel abandoned. You know, how many times we've heard John 14 read the words of Jesus at a, a memorial service or a funeral. And, and we hear Jesus saying to the disciples, talking about how he's going to not be with them. And he said, I will not leave you, what? Orphaned. But I will send my Holy Spirit. See, Jesus recognized that one of the experiences that we have in grief is that we feel like we're orphaned. We feel like we're abandoned. We feel like we're alone. And that's natural. You know, I want to say a word to us in dealing with others who are going through grief. When a grieving person verbalizes their loneliness or their experience of abandonment, there is a tendency among us to comfort them in their pain by assuring them that they are not alone. Now, although our hearts are in the right place, We aren't comforting them when we spring into action trying to fix the situation. We're telling them that what they are feeling is not valid. We have to fight back that urge to make it right and let the person who is in the midst of grief feel that abandonment and all the emotion that goes with it. For if we discount it, it's as if we're telling them not to trust their own feelings. We are signaling that we're not comfortable with their pain and their anguish. You think about that. You know, there's an ancient rite of grief with the, in the Jewish tradition called the sitting Shiva. To sit Shiva is to visit with a person who is mourning and generally it is to do so in complete silence or for there to be very few words spoken. For the mourner is the one who talks and is free to express pain and anger and feelings of abandonment. And the rule is no one tries to convince them uh, otherwise. The, the, the grievers simply sit with the other in the midst of their pain and they share food and they share mourning. So when we visit those who grieve, the most important thing that we can do for them is to be there. Grievers just need us to listen. And in the days immediately following a loved one's death or some impact of, of loss, the, the, the thing that we have to do is not to do, but to be. And to experience life with one who's in the midst of this feeling of abandonment. You know, the B that I, uh, I think just comes out of the pages here in Lamentation, it, it stands for broken in spirit. Judah has gone through this exile with suffering and hard servitude, the scripture says. She lives now among the nations and she finds no resting place. 
Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. Now those who grieve experience a brokenness in spirit, a sense of defeat. And this is different from abandonment because when you are experiencing a broken spirit, then you enter into a time of, of, of anger and, and, and of asking or stating, you know, if only. There's regret. If only becomes a part of the lament. If only um, she had seen the doctor sooner. If only I had seen the doctor sooner. If, if only uh, they'd been more careful. If only I'd been more thoughtful or, or more loving. And when we're in the midst of a broken spirit, we, we tend to go to this dark place of questioning. So the broken spirit assumes some amount of blame and guilt. And this loss is an experience that causes the, the, the impact of the grief to be compounded. We need to realize that when people are in the midst of grief such as this, it's important for us to embrace them in whatever way embracing um, seems to be appropriate. Not, not to let them be alone in the midst of their brokenness, but to be there. And finally, the C is for cry. Tears are, of course, most appropriate when we're experiencing grief. But when, when I'm talking about crying here, I'm talking about the spirit of, of lamentation. A lament is, is cried, it's expressed to God in, in a way that sometimes is even shouting in anger. It is a crying out. And why do we cry out? To be heard. We want somebody to listen. We want somebody to hear um, us in the midst of our grief. We want someone to fix the situation ultimately. And when that crying is, as the, lament, uh, the lament directs us, is directed toward God, it is a crying out in an expectation that God will hear us and that God will ultimately bring our healing. You know, it seems like that we have a God-shaped void in us that only God can fill. And that void is most pronounced when we're in the midst of grief. We cry out to God to fill this hurt, this emptiness, this pain that I'm working through. And so throughout the Bible, we have God speaking to the prophets over and over again, I am with you, I am in the midst of your pain, I suffer with you. This word comes over and over again. Even when God comes in the form of Jesus himself, it is Emmanuel, it is God with us. You know, we even have that experience of a God who loses a son on a cross, who is crucified in such a cruel way. It is God the Father who experiences this loss of son. So the whole story from beginning to end is about a God who hears our cries and a God who responds to the need that we have in the midst of our grief. What a comforting thought that our God is not removed from our pain, but our God in Christ has experienced pain unimaginable. 
What's the most grief-stricken day you've ever had? That's a painful question. How are you doing with dealing with that grief? You know, the Copeland family's coming up on an anniversary of sorts. As you know, and I've shared with you and you've shared with me because you've been with me in the middle of my grief. On the 12th of August last year, we had a wedding here at this church. One of the great days of our family's life together. Our daughter, Emily, was married. We had a great party afterwards. And that night on the 12th of August last year, we got word after the party that my parents in their 80s, their home had burned to the ground and they had lost everything, every material treasure and blessing of that house out on the farm was gone. Just a couple of days later, Rusty George really said, you, you don't want to leave that rubble there. You need to get it cleaned off as quickly as possible. And we had an army come to my hometown. We had um, people from my hometown and people from our church come to my parents' um, burned-out house and clear that slab in two days. It was the action of the people coming alongside my parents that was the blessing. It was knowing that there were prayers being offered to them that was a treasure that they could never replace or ever say thank you enough for. You know, I noticed um, there was one citizen of Chandler who was there that day and she was obviously grief-stricken for my parents. And I noticed that she was working through, so was Wendy Lucas, all the, the lost um, uh, china from my parents' wedding, 60 years old, and some of the china that my grandmother had painted, you know, just now in little bitty pieces. And this person was gathering those pieces, just hoping for maybe one cup that wasn't broken apart or one plate that was still intact. Nothing. And several weeks after that slab had been cleared in the new house, oh, by the way, the new house is nearly ready. Zach, our son, is an architect. He designed it. They go out and see it twice a day. They're just like kids in a new place. But then it was grief. And, and this friend, she brings over this framed mosaic of little pieces of plates that is absolutely beautiful. And just a few days ago, she brings over this table and the tabletop is a mosaic of those broken pieces of china put together in an unbelievable way. And glued to the plate, to the mosaic is a plate 
Now, there wasn't a plate that was found intact, but she had found all of the pieces of this one plate, and she glued it together. One plate! Now, I wouldn't eat off of it, but it's a symbol of how sometimes God comes to us in the form of people, flesh and blood, who care enough to clean off the slab and to work through the rubble and pick up the pieces and help you glue those pieces back together where when you've cried enough uh, you can actually receive it and it feels good. You know, I pray wherever you are in the midst of this subject of grief today. Maybe you've been reminded and it's painful of a a time when you've experienced grief. Hopefully you're on the other side, healed. Maybe you're here today and you're overwhelmed by the fact that you know someone who's grieving right now. They've lost a relationship or they've experienced a death or, or they're grieving for somebody they don't even know that they saw on television and you don't know how to deal with it. Our God always responds to our cries in the midst of our grief. God will respond in ways beyond our imagining. God comes to us in the midst of our grief, never wanting the tragedy to happen, but seeing the tragedy as a way to help redeem that tragedy into something that absolutely becomes blessing. And there are people around us throwing life preservers. That's God. And jumping in the water with us. That's God. And putting plates together. That's God. And bringing healing to us like we never thought could be possible. That's God. If you're singing a lament today, know that it doesn't fall on deaf, holy ears. God will bring together angels. Angels. And they will love you in his name to a healing place. Amen.